Hello, everyone, and welcome to A-Ball with Eric Ose. I am Eric Ose, and it is good to have you with us for what is episode number 11. This week, we'll be chatting with one of the Lumber King's bullpen options and left-hander, Alex Vessia, something that, of course, we'll be joking with them about because, well, we're always told that characters are found in the bullpen. They also tell us that characters tend to be left-handed, and Vessia, he checks off a couple of boxes. He is taken in the 17th round of the 2018 draft by the Miami Marlins out of Cal State East. Bay, a San Diego native that he'll be talking about as kind of an older influence on a younger team for the Lumber Kings, Vessia, 23 years of age, and mentioning just some of the 19-year-olds on the team that he could relate to it because it was something he felt like he was going through when he was moving from San Diego out into Northern California, which he described as far different, but also something he wanted to try just in sort of becoming his own man. And Vessia, we thank him for taking the time to talk with us as we do record this on June 10th which is after the Lumber Kings suffering some pretty rough losses against the Burlington Bees, the single-A affiliate of the Los Angeles Angels. For our sakes, yesterday, June 9th, it was a rough one. The Lumber Kings, for the first time since June 1st of 1999, swept in a doubleheader by the Bees. They had fallen in Game 1 by a score of 4-3 to and then dropped a 2-1 to decision in the following contest, and it was ugly losses for the Lumber Kings here in this series, really even an ugly win that they had had back on June the 8th, which was a night contest against the Burlington Bees. Now, the Lumber Kings would win that game. They had a six-run rally in the seventh in which the offense exploded. They had four home runs, one from different players. You had Marcos Rivera, Christopher Torres, Sean Reynolds, and Gerard Encarnacion on the home runs. They turned their first triple play in over 20 years. It came in the eighth inning with the bases loaded, and then the Lumber Kings also had walked 11 batters in that. It tied a season high for free passes that had been issued. We touched on it briefly last episode, but the Lumber Kings had been one of the stingiest pitching staffs in the Midwest League when it had come to the free passes. That has changed, and it has changed in a rather convincing way. We mentioned the 11 walks on June the 8th. Well, the night before that, the series opener, where you wouldn't think a whole lot of walks would be issued when the Lumber Kings turned the ball over to their ace in Chris Valamont, but he turned in another rough starting. Valamont only lasting two and a third innings back on the 7th, which was a Friday here in Burlington. He walked five batters during his timeout. Lumber Kings pitching would then combine to walk 10. So as it stands for the Clinton Lumber Kings with the 11 walks, they then issued the following night on Saturday. They issued seven walks in the first game of the doubleheader. And then the following game, which was game two of the doubleheader, they had issued three. So walks have been all over the place for Clinton so far. It's why the games have been pretty long. They had played the longest seven-inning contest of the season. They played the longest nine-inning contest of the year as well, and it's been the free passes. As we mentioned, the only win of the series thus far for the Lumber Kings, kind of an ugly one, but they had lots of highlights to overcome the 11 walks that had been issued. I mean, home runs from Gerard Encarnacion and Sean Reynolds, they were pretty impressive, and we should highlight Reynolds for a second because his home run, which if you have not been out to Burlington at Community Field, kind of an older ballpark built in 1947, they've got a really big scoreboard in right center field, and Reynolds for the second time this season, it went over the scoreboard. Here in Burlington, there's then a couple of rows of trees behind it, and it went somewhere into those trees after we had lost sight of it 
I don't know why, but the right fielder in that instance, Noni Williams, he had jogged over like maybe he could make a play on it. He was off by about 100 feet as it got over the scoreboard for another monster smash for Sean Reynolds, his ninth home run of the season. That's leading the team in big flies. Also, we wanted to highlight as well Gerard Encarnacion. He had the third home run of the contest for the Lumber Kings in that win on Saturday night, June 8th, and he will be in the home run derby in the Midwest League. We wish the best of luck to Gerard Encarnacion in that derby because, well, last year the Lumber Kings did have a participant and things did not go very well. They had Ryan Costello, who was then a Seattle Mariners prospect, into the derby as one of the Lumber Kings All-Stars. He didn't hit any home runs. And this year they have upped the ante, literally. The winner of the home run derby in the Midwest League will be winning $1,000 when they do have that derby the day before the All-Star game, which is going to be on June the 17th, a Monday. Then the All-Star game will follow on Tuesday out in South Bend, where the Cubs will be hosting at Four Winds Field. Lumber Kings will have three representatives in the All-Star game. Gerard Encarnacion will be the only starter among them, but a couple of pitchers as well. Well-deserved honors for Humberto Mejia and Chris Valamont. As we mentioned, Valamont has turned in his two shortest starts of the season, but it's safe to say he has been one of the Lumber Kings' best starting pitchers in 2019. And Humberto Mejia, he just continues to throw the ball well. It was a truly dominant month of May for Humberto Mejia and it's not as if the month of April was all that bad either. Gone 1-0 with a 3.48 earned run average so rather impressive but then in May everything really just clicked for Mejia. 4-0, and a 1.57 earned run average. It was over 34 and a third innings of work. First outing in June, not too bad either. He went six innings, didn't allow any runs, four hits were surrendered. He walked one and struck out six. Mejia is a very easy guy to get along with. He always jokes with me that I need to get ready to call a perfect game and a no-hitter because he says it is coming. He has promised great things before his final outing in the first half. Unfortunately for the Lumber Kings in 2019, that first half will be meaning no playoffs. Now, they're not mathematically eliminated as we record this again on June the 10th, but the Lumber Kings have fallen off after dropping three out of four from the Burlington Bees, who currently sit in the wildcard spot in the Western Division. Lumber Kings coming into the action on June 10th. They are currently sitting five and a half games out of first, and there's only about a week left of baseball. The season, or first half rather, will be coming to an end for the Lumber Kings in Cedar Rapids on Sunday, June the 16th, and that will be it. So not a whole lot of baseball left in the first half. The Lumber Kings will finish this series with the Bees, then they take on the Peoria Chiefs for a series that will run from Tuesday the 11th of June through the 13th, a Thursday, and then in Cedar Rapids on Friday the 14th, and it ends on Sunday the 16th. Those are all the games that are left in the first half. Then after the Lumber Kings We'll have the All-Star break, which I imagine many players are looking forward to. They will be resuming the season with the first game of the second half on the road against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, the single-A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers, on Thursday, June 20th. So really getting towards the last latter half here of the first half, and then the second half begins in the single-A level. What that'll mean is a fresh slate for the Lumber Kings. The two teams that will make the playoffs will then no longer have anything to play for in the regular season. They'll be locked into those playoff positions, whether the Bees had one the division, which is not looking very likely, four and a half games back of the Quad Cities River Bandits. But it, it wouldn't matter whether you're a wild card winner and you win the division in the second half. It doesn't affect anything. You're still the wild card winner. It's whatever you claim first in the postseason race in the Midwest League. And so the Lumber Kings will see an eight-team division, but only six teams competing for two playoff spots in the second half. And as we said, they'll likely be one of them. Not mathematically eliminated, but technically 
or nearly technically eliminated from this playoff discussion. When we come back, it's going to be Alex Vessia who joins us, one of the Lumber Kings bullpen options. We thank him for taking the time to talk with us. He had chatted with us before a contest out here in Burlington. We just decided to have a couple of more games to talk about before we brought on our full report card of the Clinton Lumber Kings, Miami Marlins single A affiliate. Alex Vessia joins us next on A-Ball with Eric Oz. Welcome back on A-Ball with Eric Os. We're now joined by one of the Lumber Kings relievers, Alex Vessia. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us out here in Burlington. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We should say recording this on June 8th. This is a Saturday night. Lumber Kings will be taking on the Burlington Bees later tonight. Vessia, one of the left-handed options in the bullpen for the Clinton Lumber Kings. They usually say the bullpen is full of characters. Left-handers are also one of those characters. You happen to check both of those boxes. So is that the case for the Lumber Kings here in 2019? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we have, throughout the whole staff, we have a bunch of guys who have a whole bunch of different personalities, right? We got we have some quiet guys. We have some very, very, you know, loud and kind of just kind of out there. But it's great because it keeps everything, you know, loose and, and fun. And, you know, I I like to think that my personality fits great with our team and then with the pitching staff as well out in the bullpen, you know, talking about the game and, and everything like that. It, it's always a lot of fun out there. It seems like a lot of fun is uh, something that is said quite regularly for this Lumber Kings team, a team that really gets along too, not just uh, between the lines, but it seems like top to down. Sometimes there's that segregation between pitchers and position players. That does not seem like it's the case for the Clint Lumber Kings here at the A level. Yeah, I would. I definitely think that the reason why we're like that is because a lot of us played together last year in Batavia, and then also we've kind of all got drafted together. There's not a whole bunch of guys that... Uh, weren't in the 2018 draft class, which is why we're so close. Because when we got to uh, Florida or Jupiter, um, you know, meeting everybody and everything like that, those are, you know, these are my my boys. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to working my way up with them and and everything like that. And I think that's why we're so close. And plus, like, you know, position players and pitchers, we talk a lot amongst each other about the game. So it's I'm trying to figure out what the hitter is looking for in different situations, and then they want to know what the pitcher's thinking. And I think that that's a huge advantage uh, that the Lumber Kings have to offer. The Clinton Lumber Kings and that pitching staff talking about bullpens a little bit here, but you touched on the draft, and that had just ended. So it was a very big day for a lot of those amateur athletes that then go into the professional ranks. I was wondering if you could tell us your story as well, too, because you're a San Diego guy, and we got a little piece of it when we had you out at Chadwick for the community outing out in Illinois. You were talking to the kids a little bit about how you were beginning to see your path going into the professional ranks, and now here you are in the Marlins single A. Yeah, yeah, I mean, my my experience and, and all, all that was the those three days were very stressful, very emotional. You know, I had a lot of things going through my head. Luckily, I had, you know, my friends and especially, my, you know, my mom and dad to kind of help me and um, give me advice and, and, and encouraging words and stuff. But, you know, going into my senior year, my my coach, uh, Mike Cummings, he just told me that go have fun, 
and, and after three or four starts and I got the ball rolling it things kind of fell into place and I kind of over those the last month of that season I I don't know it was emotional you know knowing that it was my last time in college and everything like that and then once I got drafted coming to the Marlins and, and seeing what they have to offer I felt at home and, and you know I'm really looking forward to, to meeting these new draft guys and kind of welcoming them and sharing you know my experiences and, and what I've learned so far because you know my, the jump from college ball to you know professional ball it, it's a pretty good leap but the coaching staff and everybody that surrounded me has been you know top notch absolutely just amazing which is why I've had success and I think that that's why the Lumber Kings are so successful as of right now. The Clint Lumber Kings as we talk here with Alex Vessia and you mentioned with those kids out at Chadwick which I found very interesting was the high school and just how that had gone in the baseball development was that when it first came on your radar that you know professional baseball was an option for you? So my the first kind of idea of me playing further was I had a, um, a counselor and he told me you know or asked me what's your goal what do you want to do with your life and I was like I don't really know this it's is a heavy my, this, question yeah this know. is my freshman year you know I didn't even know what I was doing the next day so you know asking me what do you want to do in five years was a very you know crazy question to me so um, I played my freshman year and that was that was it was good but it wasn't great and my sophomore year I really wanted to make varsity and going into tryouts and everything I felt like I had a good tryout and they put me on JV which was you know wasn't what I wanted but I you know I told myself I'd, I'd work hard and by the end of the year I, I wanted to be on varsity and sure enough the last start of the season or the last game of the season uh, my coach brought me into the office and was like do you want to start and I was like yeah absolutely and I believe I, I ended up going either five or six maybe seven innings I'm, I'm not too sure but after that being out there and feeling you know, the the small crowd that we had, but it was big for me. I was like, I want to do this. So I kind of, I gave it a, you know, a hard thought and I asked my parents and they, you know, they were totally supportive of everything that, you know, I wanted to do. And, you know, that was my thing is I wanted to get a scholarship to play baseball at the next level to not only help out my parents, you know, financially with paying for college and getting a degree, but also I wanted to play baseball. So, and then once I got into my freshman year, um, I was only told that I was going to pitch maybe 15 innings. And I was like, okay, that'll give me time to learn and, and kind of understand what college is all about. And a couple injuries uh, from older guys and then a couple guys who were ineligible. Um, we, second start of the season, my coach hands me the ball and is like, you're starting today. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm starting. All right, cool. And after that, I started, I think, I think it was 12 games, you know, and I, after that, I was like, this is what I want to do. I can, you know, I, that was where my vision really opened up. And I started to set pretty high goals for myself. And everybody who I had talked to never really told me, like, those are achievable or those are too high or too low. Um, I just told myself that I'm going to do it. And I wanted to do it. And I would do everything in, in my power uh, to do that. So um, it's been great. I absolutely love it. Just like pitching out there last night, you know, I get a ground ball and, and uh Cespi makes the play I think I think it was or Rivy he you know makes the play and I'm like looking in the stands going this is awesome I love it it's great it's such an like an emotional thing for me because I just 
feel like I put a lot of passion into the game. Absolutely. I think you have to, right? Because we talk about the grind of the schedule. I mean, it's 140 games, 139 now because of the cancellation out in Davenport, which as a fan, at least that's how I think everyone in minor league baseball and as a player too, that's where it starts as a fan. And then Mm -hmm. you go into the professional aspect of it and you think that, oh, well, I can handle it because I watch it all the time. You know, I watch it every night. And then you get part of that grind, even at the minor league level of 140 games. What has that been like just getting adjusted to? Because as we look down here at the scorecard, this is going to be game number 60 of the 139 game schedule and at times as we just finished a three-week grind of no off days it can (laughs) kind of seem like it's Groundhog's Day right it's every day with this yeah I mean that's something that they definitely prepare you for they tell you it over and over again that it's going to be a long season and I think that the preparation that you do in the off season definitely helps you you know for your season I definitely felt like I've been prepared and and you know, I'm ready for this. This is, you know, I come out to the field pretty much every single day and I'm like, this is what I love to do. I love playing catch. I love doing my running, my, my working out, um, you know, batting practice is cool. I enjoy a lot of it. So for me, it, it doesn't really seem to drag on or anything. I'm, I'm always looking forward to that next day because I don't like it when I'm not pitching. You know, I want to get out there. I want the ball and I want to put my team in the best possible situation to win a game. So. Are, there, are there any guys at the higher levels that you look up to still that maybe you met in high school or in college that you kind of uh, use as a, a blueprint to maybe get up to the higher levels? Uh, I've always I've always looked up to like Marcus Stroman and David Price, uh, and then even Dayton back when I was really younger. It was always Andy Pettit, right? Those were those have been the guys that I've either watched video on or, or just like how they carry themselves throughout the game. Um, but then also there was a, a a uh, guy from uh, Grossmont High School, his name is Joe Musgrove, who I watched him pitch uh, in a playoff game in CIF, and there was a whole bunch of scouts behind him, uh, and now he's pitching for, for the Pirates. He's one of their starters, absolutely, you know, carving, and I want to I wanna be, I want to take that path just like he did. So that's kind of a, a little, like, realistic or, or something that I want to model myself after just because... I know that how hard he's worked and where he's come from, you know, he played against my high school, you know, and I think that, you know, if he can do it, I can definitely do it. I got to put the work in and, you know, maybe one day I'll, you know, throw against him or we'll be on the same team. You know, it's always, you always got to keep that positive outlook on life. And did you ever get a chance to meet him to pick his brain? Because you're from San Diego, right? Yeah, exactly. I haven't. So I know there's a good friend of mine who who knows him really well and i'm i'm hoping that maybe during the off season one of these uh days maybe uh, this upcoming off season i'll be able to meet him uh because i'd I'd love to talk to him i think it'd be super cool to hear his story firsthand because i've heard stories uh from from you know people who he's talked to but uh, you know hearing it first person is always really nice so you grew up in San Diego, and then you decide to go into the college ranks at Cal State East Bay, which is a little ways away from home, right? Yeah. That's about a six-hour drive, I'd say, a for little, a little, little lower, more than that. Yes, seven hours, I suppose, yeah. um, up to the East Bay. What went into that decision? Because that's a, that's a big move, too, in the path of the going into the professional ranks of baseball, going yeah. into college. Yeah, absolutely. So um, going through my senior year, I didn't really have anybody who was looking at me, right? So my, my pitching coach at the time, he sent a mass email out to you know all the schools up and down the West Coast. I didn't want to go East Coast. I didn't really want to go you know too far. Um, and Cal State East Bay, they were the only uh, team to get back to him. And then they ended up emailing and calling me. Um, 
and Bob Ralston was his name, and he, he was the head coach at the time, and, and he called me and liked what my, I had to offer, and, my, and you know, we sent him videos and, and everything like that, and uh, they ended up giving me a scholarship, which helped my family out you know, tremendously, which is you know, what my parents wanted too. And then we went and uh, toured the campus and everything like that, and the, and the Bay Area is different than California, or different than San Diego, I'm sorry. And I liked it. I knew I needed a change. Um, six, eight hours, however far you, you know, however long you want that car ride. Depending on how fast you drive, and I suppose. Exactly. I, I gave it away that I drive yeah. fast. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, to me, it was, it was far enough. You, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be, you know, two hours away where I could always go home because I felt like I wasn't going to get the full college experience. And I wanted that. I wanted to kind of, I knew that I needed that. You know, my parents love me and everything like that. But but at some point, you know, you have to kind of detach and do your own thing and, and really live life how you want to and make decisions that you're either going to have benefits or consequences from that I definitely think that college and, and, and everything like that made me grow. I grew so much just from my freshman year uh, into my sophomore year and then, you know, freshman year to senior year, I, I, I've grown so much. So... You know, definitely that was a very, very tough decision that, my, you know, my parents at the time, did they know exactly that was the plan? No, but they were like, this is the best opportunity that you have at this time. You know, let's take it. Let's do it. If you don't like it, you can come home. But, you know, my dad told me, he was like, I want you to at least go your first quarter there and, and see how you like it. And, you know, it took me a week or two to adjust. I called my mom a couple of times. Hey, uh, how do I do this laundry? Or like, how do I cook this? You know, and, and that's like that's a part of it. You know, and there we have a couple of high school guys on the team um, right now, and they're going through the exact same thing that I went through. And you know, I want to help them out. You know, I never I never get down or, or get on them for not knowing because shoot, I was in their shoes four years ago. So I think that that's like a super cool thing that I, I i take my i take pride in is helping the younger guys at this level kind of go through life and go through ups and downs because i'm with them every day every single day you know hey how's it going how you doing well what, what, what do you got going on that's all i, I ask them that and whether they want to talk to me or not hey that's okay but i'm i'm watching them grow and it's cool it's really cool especially since the beginning of the draft till now they've grown already so much so they and that draft and the taking in the 17th round, I imagine your parents, as you've hit on a little bit, very excited when that moment Absolutely. had come. Where were you when that had happened, and who was all surrounding you? Yeah, so um, at the time, I was in, I was up in the Bay Area. I was in Hayward. I was at the house uh, that I had stayed at for my senior year, and I had a few of my buddies around, um, and, and it was it was funny because I, I like looked up on, and saw my name, and, and I like looked down, and then I realized it again. I looked up there again. I was like, wait a second that's my name it said Cal State East Bay and then they announced it and that was cool that was super cool my parents were driving home at the time because I think my my mom had to work either the next day or something like that so um or they might have even been home at the time I'm, I'm not too sure but yeah that was that day was crazy I got so many phone calls and and it was I really enjoyed it you know what I mean and just like being able to reflect a little bit about how far I've come and now it's like okay now I gotta make some new goals for myself and you know that was definitely that time and that period was something that I will never ever forget definitely one of my most favorite moments 
Well, you don't hear it too much when you talk about baseball players reaching the major leagues, but I thought Connor Scott hit on it when he had first come out here, but getting assigned to a full-season full team and opening day as you were. So was that a big moment for you as well? You know, your first full taste of uh, professional baseball. You get to a full-season team with the Clinton Lumber Kings that tells you that, you know, once camp break essentially that you're with a team from opening day. That's got to be a pretty big moment too, a milestone on that journey. Right, right. And that, you know, that was... That was definitely going into spring training. I'd never been to spring training, right? I've always was, was always playing baseball, always you know doing something. So to go through that, that was awesome. That was a, such an experience, you know, seeing fans around, uh, signing autographs, other stuff like that, and then you know performing and, and going through that grind to get to here. This is what I want. You know, I wanted to eat, to break with the Lumber Kings just because I knew that. I've put in all the hard work to earn a spot here and that I just needed to perform on the field. So, you know, going into the locker room and seeing my name on the board and everything like that, I, you know, told myself like, Hey, here we go. This is what I wanted. This is what you get, you know? And now you just take another step forward of, uh, understanding like goal. Once you reach a goal, now you got to make another one. And that, and that's something that was pretty cool. I definitely think that all the, situations and everything that we've already endured this year been a lot we've been through a lot as this team and I think that we were definitely going to succeed more and more as the season goes on so so new goals for you once you got to uh, Clinton what were they you know looking at 2019 as we said this is going to be game 60 as we record this on June the 8th so how have you felt those goals have shaped up because you've got a decent uh, sample size now to look back on yeah yeah definitely I my thing was understanding what my role was going to be right because I mean there's a we have a whole bunch of pitchers on this pitching staff uh, and I didn't know if I was going to start didn't know if I was going to relieve it and I told myself no matter what role you get you you know you're you're going to give it your all right and that's definitely uh, I was talking with D Fleece and he told me uh, you're going to be in in the relieving role either long term or short term and I was like okay that's totally cool with me the only thing with that is that I've never been out of the bullpen so that was one uh, adjustment that I needed to make. I've always been a starter. I always had that routine. So I, I have tweaked my routine a little bit, and it's definitely gone a lot better, and, and I, I'm coming around to it a lot faster than I, than I thought. And, and I think DeFleece has a has a big of that and why I'm in that routine so quick. I thought it was so interesting when we, again, were out at Chadwick and one of the kids had asked you what was a hard pitch to throw and you were talking about the changeup. And I was wondering if you could talk about why that being is more of a difficult pitch because we talk about it on the broadcast that usually when you talk about pitchers and what they're working on at the single A level, it's a fastball, a slider, or a curveball, and they're working on the changeup. So mm-hmm. why is that pitch so hard to, to throw? We hear it's obviously a very useful pitch and I think it's Tyler Mitzel usually given credit for one of the best changeups in the game, <laughs> yeah, that, and uh, you say you work on the, the changeup as well. So, uh, I mean, personally, it it was I kept getting underneath the ball, and it was always arm side, and it was high, right? And I never was able to get out in front on it, and whether that was the grip, whether it was, you know, it was a hot day, and my hand was super slippery. I don't really know it at instructs. Uh, that's where I definitely I learned it and I got a really good feel for it. And over the off season, I I was able to maintain that. And it's just a it's a pitch that you want to you want the same arm speed, but.
but you want the ball to be slower. So it's like, how, you know, how do you do that without making it fast? And it does. It's all in the grip, and it's finding the grip that works with your arm slot. At least that's what I what I believe in. And I think that I finally come around to a comfortable grip that I'm able to throw consistently, and it has the same movement. And and um, you know, obviously Ty- Tyler Mitchell, that that thing is <laughs> disgusting. I, I play I've played catch with him multiple times, and it goes between my legs, or it hits me in the shin, or you know, just because. It just is – it's such a – it looks like a fastball out of your hand, right? But then at the last second it dives away or it's slow. It's just slower and it, and it kind of drops off the table. That's just how that pitch works. And once you are able to throw it with the same arm speed so it looks like a fastball out of the hand, it's it's going to be a very effective pitch. So that's that's my, uh, my opinion on it. I just think that it's just something – uh, you got to keep working on, and you have to throw it every single day to keep the feel, and, and to kind of just understand how it works uh, as a pitcher. And you grip it a little looser, right, than like a, a fastball yeah. or a slider. Yeah, I've I've been told to hold it like an egg. Like if you were to throw an egg, you're not going to grip it really hard because you'll crack the shell. And then I've also heard that you want it to come out of your ring finger or the you know not your pinky, but yeah, it would be your ring finger and. It, it definitely, the grip and how you hold it, you want to hold it a little bit lighter so it can slip out of your hand or you can throw it a little bit sooner rather than staying out in front. And that was usually what had happened to me. And, and you know, in college, I never had a, I never had a changeup. It was usually just I would throw the fastball and the slider and sometimes the curveball just because you throw all those really hard and you grip them really hard. At least that's how I do it. I, I, maybe I'm doing it wrong, but <laughs> but yeah, the the changeup at this level you need it because every hitter that you face can hit a fastball, whether it's 90 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour, or 95 or 100. They're gonna be able to get their timing down. But the changeup, if it looks like a fastball, they're gonna swing right over the top of it every time. Well, we try to let everyone go with a, a nice, easy question, but usually these are the toughest ones of the interview, and so we wanted to ask you, oh what happened to the mustache? It was there, and oh. now it's gone. Does it have anything to do with the girlfriend being in town for a little bit? No, was no, no, it? no. It was, it, <laughs> it was, so it started out as mustache march. That's what I wanted to do. That was during spring training, right? It was, I did it in college, and in college, it, I, I threw really well in college, and this year I was like, you know what, I'll, I'm going to just rock it for Mustache March. And then it started to, you know, I threw well and threw well. I liked it for a little while. And then every time I would eat, it would get just, I mean, I'd have, you know, either sauce in it or food. And nobody would tell me. So I'd get home and there would be sauce (laughs) on my face. And I'm like, cool, guys. Like, you're just going to let me ride that one. Great teammates. Yeah, for the rest of the day. But, (laughs) and then, you know, it. Uh, it it was just I was getting sick of it, you know. And then uh, I was talking with D. Felice, and he he goes, "Why are you going to shave it off? You're throwing well." He's like, "I'm I'm kind of you know I have these things, you know, wh- whatever." He was, you know, he was superstitions, talking. yeah, I, yeah. And so <laughs> he he was like, "You're not shaving it," and I and I was like, "Why?" So he didn't really tell me, and it was it was fine. And then I threw that night, and I threw well. And I'm in the dugout, and he comes up to me, and he's like right up in my face. And he goes, you're not shaving that until you give up a run. And I was like, 
all right, okay, that's fine. So then I, you know, like called my parents and to talk about the game, and my mom's like, "Oh, are you gonna are you gonna shave your mustache?" Because I told them previously, and I was like, "No, DeFelice told me that uh, I'm gonna I should shave it once I give up a run." My mom goes, "You know, I like that idea." And I was like, <laughs> "All right, that you know that that's fine. That, you know, it, it is outvoted." Yeah, you know, I was like, "All right, I'll I'll ride that out." And then I had an outing where I'd, I'd given up two runs and and you know it, that that's where it was. I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna shave it off." I was I was fine. We had a two-hour, three-hour bus ride, and I was like contemplating it, contemplating it. And, and I get home, and I'm like looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm like, "Yep, it's coming off." And I buzz it off. I get to the field the next day, and everybody, all of my all the guys were like. What are you? What'd you do? And I, uh, you know, it was like it was time. You know, it was time. And then they're like, "You look like a baby now." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, I, because you know, I clean shaved all the way. It was, it was all good." And it just so happens that my girlfriend was coming into town, and you know, they were like, "Oh, you did it because of that." And I was like, "No, like that's I, what I was thinking." Right? Yeah. yeah. No. And I was like, "No, like it, it, it was, it was my decision. She didn't really care either way. You know, she, she's." She was like, "Do whatever you want. I don't, I don't care." So, which was funny. It, it was all good, and you know, I, I I go out to play catch, and Deflease looks at me. He goes, "Wow, it's still ugly." I was like, "Yeah, there we go." <laughs> so, you know, it, it is what it is. I think that you know, whether I have facial hair or not, and, you know, I'm gonna go out there and throw. You know, get guys out and be you know, be a competitor, just like I, I know how to be. So. Yeah, we'll see. I might grow a beard out. I don't know. We'll, we'll, you just got to keep them on their toes, right? Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, of course, keep everyone abreast of the yeah. uh, facial hair situation with Alex Vesey, and we appreciate you taking the time here to talk with us yeah. on A-Ball in Burlington. Thanks again for coming on board. Of course, of course. I appreciate it. Thank you. And welcome back on A-Ball with Eric Ose. You just heard from the Lumber Kings reliever, the left-hander, Alex Vessia, who has taken some time to talk with us. Very much appreciated as he had to do so after playing catch and doing some runs out on the field. He even talked about that during the interview, something that he likes so much. Just really cool to talk with someone who is so impressed by what is, is happening around him. I mean, very grateful to be a professional baseball player. I thought that was a pretty cool moment when Vessia is talking about looking up into the stands here in Burlington where they've had some good crowds. I think it was 1,300 the night that he had pitched that was here down in Burlington, Iowa. And he just said to himself how cool it was because it's always nice when a fan becomes part of the professional baseball act, so to speak. So again, thanks to Alex Vessia for taking the time. The Lumber Kings roster has not changed a whole lot as of late as we have always keeping you abreast of the roster moves for the Clinton Lumber Kings here down in Clinton and the only roster move that we can report to you was just the addition of Connor Grant the Lumber Kings outfielder that we've seen play in right and in left field he has been really an everyday outfielder for the Lumber Kings or sometimes a designated hitter it was part of a roster move that sent Ricardo Cespedes down to extended spring training and that has been the only roster move that has happened as of late for the Lumber Kings but as you well know that'll be changing very shortly likely in the second half if experience 
Kings. As any indication from a season ago, the Lumber Kings will be receiving almost a fresh batch, almost a new team in the second half, as that's when the draft picks will start to filter in. Of course, the Miami Marlins had drafted fourth overall, so we will, of course, keep you abreast of the new faces that come into town for the Clinton Lumber Kings. That second half will be beginning on Thursday, the 20th of June. And usually that final day of the All-Star break, at least last year was the indication, and the year before that in the Seattle Mariners organization, the Lumber Kings had received their first draft class players that had come out. And there are several high ones that you would expect. You've got J.J. Blade, who has taken fourth overall by the Miami Marlins, a college guy, so you could see him potentially in Clinton. Of course, it's just wild speculation at this point, but the Lumber Kings will as a very talented team that has just kind of fallen off as of late, unable to really just finish games, as it were. We've talked about the closeness of the contest, the most recent ones being the Burlington Bees, one-run affairs, and it seems like that has been the case just about all season long for the Clinton Lumber Kings. One-run games, it seems to be their specialty. As we look at the roster breakdown for the Clinton Lumber Kings, again recording this on June 10th, they have played 62 games. They are two games under 500 at 30 and 32, but when it comes to the tight games, the one-run affairs that they have played in, it has been 29 of them, and they are 13 and 16 in such games. They've also played in 12 two-run contests, a record that is not very impressive at 4-8 and eight in two-run games, but it just speaks to how close the contests have been for the Clinton Lumber Kings. Kind of to be expected, I guess you could say, with a younger team, but again, we go back to the Pythagorean theorem of baseball, which usually tells you that a team can be a little bit overrated or underrated, depending on how it breaks down. You just plug in the runs allowed versus the runs that you have scored. Really just a run differential equation. And the Lumber Kings, as again, we record this on June the 10th, they have scored nine more runs than their opponents, so that would tell you they should be above 500, but under the 500 mark on June 10th, as we record this out here in Burlington. So maybe something will give, but a younger team that the Lumber Kings may be seeing some new faces in in just about a week or so. And of course, we will keep you abreast of that. This is A-Ball with Eric Ose, and I want to thank everyone for listening to episode number 11, and a big thanks to our guest, Alex Vessia, for taking some time while the Lumber Kings were on the road for the second to final time in the first half. Well, hopefully we will see you out at a game some point this year, but if you don't, we can see you on the radio as we shamelessly plug the Lumber Kings broadcast. You can listen to all the Lumber Kings 2019 games with yours truly on the call. It'll be on the FM dial for those of you in the broadcast range on 100.3 FM WCCI. And for those of you outside of the range, you can always find us on the Internet at LumberKings.com via the TuneIn Radio app. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to the episode. We'll hope to see you on the radio on the broadcast side of things. And, of course, we'll look for you again next week with episode number 12 of A-Ball with Eric Ose.